Manchester United haven't won a major trophy since they lifted the 2017 Europa League under Jose Mourinho. Newcastle United haven't won a domestic trophy since 1955, so the motivation for both clubs is enormous heading into Sunday's League Cup final at Wembley. But will the Carabao Cup be heading to either Manchester or Newcastle? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. start with a man who has more screens than Dixon's window, as my mum would say, Mark O'Hare. Uh, Mark, Manchester United, the clear favourites here at 2.32. We don't know what happened against Barcelona on Thursday night, but unless Rashford's been injured and loads of other players have been as well, that price does generally seem fair enough, right? Yeah, um, it is. I mean, ordinarily, I would give United the slight edge in this match for, for obvious reasons. Um, but I think it will be a very competitive final. Um, it should be a great atmosphere. United away support is always very strong. And Newcastle, obviously, have been waiting a long time for a moment like this. Um, I think it has the ingredients to be quite a, a competitive and memorable final. Um, but a couple of caveats, really, kind of, which put me off backing Man United at those prices. Um Firstly, obviously, this match comes off a, a taxing week, but actually a taxing month for Man United because they've had to play Barcelona twice in two matches they evidently want to win. Um, Leicester last weekend was was no sort of easy easy meet at all. Um, and that's the, the kind of obvious complaint or concern I think you can have about Man United at the minute is just the fatigue element. Um, Newcastle have enjoyed two fresh midweeks coming into this fixture. Man United have played seven games in February alone. Newcastle have only played three times before this fixture. So um, Ten Hag has rotated a little bit, but he's kept a, a pretty strong spine to his team throughout the whole season, really. Um, he's highly motivated to win trophies. Um, and in fairness, his United side have been trending upwards since the start of the season. Just one defeat across 19 in, in all competitions. That was the last minute loss uh, against Arsenal. Casemiro will be back available after his domestic suspension, which is a huge boost. I think Saar Butz has um, settled in quite nicely to that midfield. Anyhow, Wakehorst is finding his feet in a more withdrawn role. Um, and anything Ten Hag seems to touch right now seems to function pretty well. Even Luke Shaw playing at centre-back, which would have filled you with dread earlier in the campaign or under a different coach. But um, It's quite an you know, interesting one, that, Mark, isn't it? Because... He clearly wants ball players at centre back, and and that's obviously the reason because he knows that Shaw technically is very very good at bringing that ball out. It's quite can be quite jarring, can't it, to see a full back like Shaw, who we think of as quite attack minded in that role, but it, it's kind of worked. It has. Uh, I kind of go back to the Barcelona days when uh, Javier Mascarano got moved back into centre back and. He's obviously not the tallest of, of individuals and there was huge criticism and there was quite a few teething problems at the beginning. But, but towards the end of his career, he just became a, a very natural centre-half and yeah. was kind of lauded for for his work and, and how well he performed. And um, I think Luke Shaw is, is actually taller than you think he is. Um, I'm not sure what his exact height is, but I remember when I found it out, I was quite surprised. He looks quite diminutive, I think, when he's playing at left-back, but maybe that's because he's often alongside someone like Harry Maguire, who is quite towering. But uh, he's performed brilliantly and I think you're right, you know. But anything, Ten Hag, is doing right now seems to be working and ordinarily I'd look at that 2.3 and I'd be quite keen in getting involved I just am concerned by the the fatigue element therefore I'd, I'd happily sort of build in something draw base and if that's based on you know back United minus a quarter would give me a bit more kind of um 
assurance, in, in fact. But um, I actually don't want to be with United at all um, because Newcastle, regardless of what they've done recently, they've just proven so hard to beat this season. Um, Liverpool are the only team to have beaten Newcastle. They've done it home and away. And both occasions, you could say they're pretty fortunate to do so because Newcastle were excellent at Anfield and they were brilliant last week despite conceding two really top-class goals early doors and the red card. They were brilliant and um, they've already gone to Old Trafford and, and sort of shut United down with a nil-nil draw. They've done the same at Arsenal at the Emirates uh, and they also picked up a point at home to Man City in a really enjoyable game at St James's Park early on in the campaign when Man City were really gunning and, and scoring goals for fun. So they also have a big boost with Bruno Gimmerich back in the midfield. Uh, Joe Willock should be fit. Joe Linton is expected to be fine as well. So in terms of outfield players, Eddie Howe won't have you know far off his best eleven. The obvious issue they have is is in goal, um, where I think they're down to the third or fourth choice um, with Nick Post's suspension and Dubravka's uh, ineligibility. So um, their issues of late have been obvious in attack. They've scored twice or more um, in only two of their last eleven across the League and Cup, uh, and that's a big kind of reason why I, I kind of you can see why they're drawing plenty of games, particularly in the Premier League. Eleven of their twenty-three games have ended all square. But we know that their clean sheet record is is league leading this season. So, um, yeah, I think they're they're well capable of of kind of grinding this game down and, and making United work really hard for it, particularly with that kind of rest, recovery, and preparation time on their hands. Um, we know how historic this fixture is for Newcastle. Uh, a long time since they've been at Wembley in a cup final. So, um, I actually sort of ended up. Plumping for going, uh, plumping for under two and a half goals here uh, at one point eight five. Um, obviously, you get a, a range of correct scores on your t- on your side. Um, the, the dull, the dull sort of nil nil draw, a one one, or even if United were to sort of scrape a, a narrow win, I don't think it's going to be a convincing win. If they do win, three of the last four cup finals have ended nil nil or one nil uh, EFL cup finals, I should say. Uh, and traditionally, you know, when you get two teams of, of reasonably equal quality, it tends to be quite tight considering what's uh, what's on the line. So. Um, yeah, that, that's my, my view. It's not a strong view, um, but um, I think Newcastle can be competitive. Uh, I just have concerns about their attack and obviously the goalkeeping situation. But I think perhaps United's busy schedule might be a bit of a leveller. Just on the goalkeeping situation, it looks like it's going to be Loris Carius, Mark. But I, I know he had that dreadful game against Real Madrid in the Champions League final. I understand that. But people act like he hasn't got hands anymore. It, it, you know, he, he is a goalkeeper that had a decent track record before getting to Liverpool. It didn't work out for him in the end. He lost his confidence. That was clear to see against Bajik, uh, for Bajikdash as well. He had some high-profile errors. But clubs wouldn't be signing him as a goalkeeper if they thought he was a complete liability, would they? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think sometimes you can look at certain team news elements and, and kind of overplay them a little bit, depending on the position. But I just think Nick Pope has been such a consistent operator at yeah. the top flight for so long that without him, there is an obvious downgrade there. And it's not just that Karius isn't quite as good as Nick Pope. It's the fact he hasn't played in sort of competitive football at the top level for so long. I think it's, is it two years or so since he's played? Yeah, when well, um, Union, yeah. Yeah, um, which is, that's a concern, you know, to step straight into a cup final at Wembley with 90,000 people as underdogs. Um, you know, it's a kind of fire in the belly, it will stir him up. But, um, you know, that would be my biggest concern, not necessarily his ability, but just the fact he's been inactive at the top level for so long. It's a redemption story, potentially, in the making. Uh, We have scholars, philosophers, mathematicians on this show. Our football scientist is Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal. Jake, does seem like Newcastle have slowed down a bit in recent weeks. Does the data 
reflect that, or is it just the fact they've had key players missing? Uh, the key players definitely haven't helped. Um, but the one thing that they've kind of fallen into, I guess you could call it a bit of a finishing slump, um, where they've they've been creating loads of good chances and just not taking them. Um, I think since the restart, they've scored six goals in eight matches. Um, their expected goal total in that time is 14. So wow. there's a it's massive a underperformance. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the only reason that they've still been, you know, still in touch with the top four is because the defence has been really good. Um, the defensive process has definitely kept the team afloat, if you like, because, you know, any other team that's going through that kind of underperformance in attack would have dropped a lot more points and lost a lot more matches than what Newcastle have. Um, you know, since the restart, they've averaged 1.07 expected goals against per game, which is, you know, really impressive. It's like, it's nearly league leading um, over that period. And there's only Liverpool that really caused them too many issues. Um, you know, I think it was with the tune up before Nick Pope got sent off. They created a lot of good chances in that in that game before his dismissal. Um, but afterwards, they were brilliant with ten men. You know, they looked like the better team. Um, you know, we spoke about this on Monday's Champions League pod about the fact that Liverpool it wasn't the kind of performance we'd expect to see against the ten men. But part of that has to be credit to Newcastle because they didn't give up. They pushed on. They adjusted the game plan and they created chances of their own. Um, but yeah, I'm with Mark on this. I think the unders is the play in the final, partly because you've got this finishing issue that Newcastle are going on. Um, and even if even if they did score at the kind of rate we'd expect, they're still averaging around 1.7, 1.8 expected goals for per game. So it's not like seriously high where if it does all click, they're going to score three, four in a match. Um, but it is at the same level as what Manchester United have been doing over the last period, uh, over that same stretch as well. So um, yeah, they're very even, evenly matched sides. I think the fact that it is potentially Loris Carrius in the net only makes the unders increase, or my, my my preference for the unders increase because I expect Newcastle to be even tighter because they'll want to protect him even more, knowing that even if it's a shot from distance, like they don't know if they can trust this goalkeeper, whereas opposed to Nick Pope, they can. So there might be a little bit more intensity in Newcastle's press, a little bit more, um, not so much negativity, but organisation, um, like we've seen from them in big games so far this season, to be fair. You think when they went to Old Trafford early, it was nil-nil. They went to the Emirates, it was nil-nil. They kept things very tight. They didn't concede any big chances in either game. Um, and in fact, four of the last five games that they played against big six opponents have gone under two and a half goals because they've kept things relatively tight and looked to lean on that defence um, more than anything else. And, and having Gimmerish back is huge because he contributes not only to that defensive solidity, but also that ball-playing midfielder who can drive yeah. them up the pitch. Personality um, as well. I mean, he he's a big game player. He feels like the kind of guy that would really grow in an occasion like this. Yeah, for sure. And you've got you've got two of them, one on each team, haven't you? Casemiro and Gimenez, who people have said over the last month are both crucial to each individual yeah. team. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that kind of battle goes. Um, and yeah, you factor in the fatigue for Man United in midweek, as, as Mark said, the fact that defensively they've looked strong since the restart and they've had a couple of wobbles of late but with Casemiro back in there you'd expect things to tighten up again and um, and a full strength United team will be def- difficult to break down so I think that there's a lot of cancelling each other out basically is, is what, what I'm saying two sides at a similar level uh, and because it's a cup final they generally are low scoring aren't they because no one yeah. wants to take too much of a risk so 1.85 was, was a, a bigger price than I was expecting to see 
Um, I also, a little bit of a side bet, the market's not up on the sports book just yet. Um, but when it does go up, probably expect it to be around three to one, maybe seven to two. Um, is Diogo Dallo to be booked? If Newcastle continue playing the way in which they are with St. Maximan now he's back to full fitness down the left. Um, you know, I think general price at the moment for Dallow to be carded is around the three to one, seven to two mark. It's big. It's a big price that because if he does start right back, he's going to get run ragged. We're talking about a guy who's been booked in five of his 16 Premier League matches this season. Um, and David Coots, the man in the middle, who's averaged 3.8 cards this, across all competitions this season. I think his last four Premier League matches, he's shown seven, four, five and nine, I think. So he's very, wow. um, he's, he, he can he can go a little bit mental when it comes to cards. So that, that was an in, <laughs> uh, a little interesting kind of a side bet to, to, if anybody wants to, to get on that. I've just got a question for Mark. Um, I know we've not got we've not got uh, Emmett on from a trading standpoint, but like how how much would you downgrade Newcastle from the Pope to Carrius kind of like in terms of their rating and their price? Um, as I said to Kev there, that you know Nick Pope, you probably got the numbers to, to hand, Jake. Um, I don't, but in terms of goal prevention this season, the the post shot xg um i believe he's one of the, the better or top performing yeah it's very good it is very good yeah so in that case you know he has to be worth a couple of points this season for, for newcastle despite their defensive process being strong but I, I think that's that's a kind of key point which you've touched on there jake already is that even recently regardless of them not winning matches consistently the defensive process has stayed pretty strong and if they can protect him and kind of deny Man United goal scoring opportunities it shouldn't be the big loss that perhaps it's being built up to be um, but yeah still you have to downgrade Newcastle slightly um, how and, and providing you with a measurement right now it is very difficult to to kind of put it into into numbers but um, I don't know what, what are Newcastle to win this game about, about 3.5 in 90 minutes um, yeah I mean, I expected Newcastle to be at least two to one to, to win this in ninety. So I think three point five, whilst it's quite a big difference between sort of three point zero to three point five, I think pro- possibly there would have been about three point two five out to three point five. It is, you know, normally we, as I was trying to say to Kev before, if you were to lose a, a centre half, um, regardless of their of their ability, um, they are replaceable. Um, maybe not so uh, not so as. Uh, I'm trying to think of examples, but you know, if you're Bruno Gimmerich, obviously is a big loss, or when he's available, he's a big plus. But there's certain positions where, yeah, the like for like, whilst the quality might differ, it, you know, you can get by. But I think goalkeeper is one of those positions which can be exposed. So you have to downgrade them a little bit. But I, I don't think it's hugely significant or symbolic. And so I don't think the market would have changed dramatically from, you know, the news when he was uh, ruled out last weekend. I'm mega rooting for Carrius. Please don't throw one in, Loris. Please. Uh, we are making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt into promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on our website, betting.betfair.com. Massive game on Sunday in the Bundesliga, Bayern and Union Berlin. Level on points at the top. By the time they play, Dortmund could have gone one or three points clear at the top, depending on what they do away at Hoffenheim on Saturday. But I fancy Bayern here. Bayern minus 1.5 on the Asian handicap is my play at 1.99. Now, 
Union have done very, very well. They are stronger in Kerpenick than they are away from home. They'll have had a very draining game, whatever happens against Ajax on Thursday. Whether they win and it's emotionally draining or they lose and they've had to put a huge amount of physical effort in there and they'll have the disappointment of crashing out of the Europa League. I just think that will affect them. Bayern will have had a free week. Bayern are always so, so angry after they lose a game. They lost to Gladbach last weekend. And I do think this is about the intangibles. I think it's about Bayern being furious, Bayern wanting to make a statement. And Union, if you look at some of their away performances, they got smashed at Leverkusen. They got smashed at Bayern last season. And they got hammered at Freiburg. So I just think away from home, Union, even though they won at Leipzig recently, are maybe not as strong as they are in the capital. So I'm going to go for Bayern minus 1.5 on the Asian handicap at 1.99. Back to the Premier League or across to the Premier League, since we started with the League Cup. Uh, London derby between Champions League chasing Tottenham and that mid-table team, Chelsea. Uh, they go into the weekend the same distance from the relegation zone as they are from the top four. Jake, how's this one going to go? <laughs> that was a great intro. Um, it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, they're, they are mid-table. There's, I, I was looking at it and thought, wow, they are, I think it's 11 points from the top four and 11 points from the bottom three. It's remarkable. It is. It's mental. Uh, and after this game, it could well be 14 points from the top four. Not, I'm not back in Tottenham. No, no, not doing that. But <laughs> there is a possibility. Um, yeah, th this for me was another one where I just looked at the price on the goal line and thought that's wrong. Um, under two and a half at 1.9 is just massive, absolutely huge. You've got a Tottenham team who you know, I banged the drum about this Spurs team for the last three or four weeks, and every, every time I seem to back against them, they win, but when I don't, they absolutely get smashed. So that's frustrating. But well, it's good to go back in for them again, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, but the, you know, the, the the point I was making remains consistent: is that they're, they're performing at a bottom half level from a, an underlying data perspective since the restart. Um, one point one five expected goals for forget one point one five. That is a really pathetic effort for a team that has you know such good individual quality in forward areas. Is this because um, they can't get the ball to the front three? This is what I always feel about them, that you've got Son, you've got Kulusevski, you've got Kane, but there's no creativity at all in the middle. And you're relying then on the wing-backs. Pedro Porro came in, had a nightmare against Leicester. He seems to be on the sidelines now. You've got Emerson Royale, who I know scored against West Ham, but half the time he looks like he's won a raffle to play. And so you're relying a hell of a lot on those those wing backs to create the chances you are yeah um you know that that's obviously that's the reason why they're struggling but then again if it's not work if it's broken they need to fix it like change the system change you know change something like rather than being no, so really. so stubborn and relying on this system that you know it's working try a fix try something different you know mix it up a little bit play with an extra man in midfield to try and get more possession of the ball like those those kind of things should be what go through your head um, in terms of when, when a team is struggling this badly, um, then, you know, it, it really is a case of if you carry on doing what you're doing, banging your head against the wall, you're going to get the same results. Um, so, yeah, the, the the attacking process of Spurs is, has been really poor. Defensively, it's not been better, not much better. They're at 1.5 expected goals against per game, so they're shipping a decent amount of chances regularly. 
Um, the record's been poor, won four, drawn one, lost four since the World Cup. Um, but the unders have landed in all four of the home matches, which is what we're which is what we're cheering on in this game. Um, they're they're you know, generally a little bit tighter defensively when they play at home, but the attacking process doesn't peak. It doesn't improve at all in front of the home uh, pros, uh, the home fans. Chelsea, um, they're another team that are really struggling in front of goal. Um, they've scored just six times in nine matches since the restart. Uh, a bit like Newcastle in the sense that they've massively underperformed the data. Like the sign, the, the signs are there that Chelsea are ready to take off and take a really positive step. Um, so the nine matches since the restart, they've averaged 1.6 expected goals for per game, 0.95 expected goals against per game. So it's a really positive expected goal difference per game. If you compare that to Spurs, for example, who are at minus 0, uh, 0.3 expected goal difference per game. That Chelsea process of plus nearly 0.7 looked really impressive. Um, and it does suggest that at this moment in time, they are performing to a higher level than Spurs. Um, but yeah, they, they just they just can't take chances. They're just not putting the ball in the net. It seems to be like a, a Potter curse. It's just followed him from Brighton to Chelsea. Yeah. Um, you know, they, it, it was like we spoke about it for years, didn't we, at Brighton? It was, he, he does all he can to create the best situations, the best um, systems, the best kind of, you know, little movements the micro movements to get into those scoring positions and for whatever reason the players just just don't put the ball in the net um so they've scored just six in nine the xg from, from that uh, 13.5 i think so again a massive underperformance. wow that's a huge underperformance isn't it um yeah yeah and, and it's costing them a lot of points because you know the, the game last week against southampton they had a two expected goals and failed to score um so that would have been one that you win and before you know it, you're having a different conversation ahead of this game. It's a fourth versus still mid-table, but you win and you're only five points behind. Um, unfortunately, it's not the case, but fortunately for this unders angle, if that kind of scoring problem continues, then we've got another good defensive team that we can rely on in terms of not conceding chances. Um, you know, under two and a half landed in eight of the nine since the restart. So generally they're a bit of a dull watch from a, a goals perspective. I don't see this being any different. I really don't. I think these are, they're going to be very cautious, the pair of them. Um, I think for Spurs in particular, it's kind of a game they can't afford to lose because if they do, then you've got Newcastle with two games in hand, one point behind, um, and that that whole top four situation could really flip on its head. Um, and if also if they lose, then Chelsea, do you slightly open the door a little bit for them? Maybe. Um, at the same time, Defences should be on top here. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not envisaging this being a, a great warm-up for the Carabao Cup final that I also think is going to be a low-scoring game. <laughs> yeah. So, Well, a super Sunday it is. Yeah. You could open that door for Chelsea for the top four, but the way they're playing, they'll probably walk into the wall instead. Um, Mark, it's a weird one, this, right, with Graham Potter, because we said when he was appointed... Oh, this feels like a bad fit because this is a guy that needs time to bed things in, to properly change things. He's had no preseason. He had a bit of time over the World Cup break, but loads of players were away. And you've got game recovery, game recovery. They're playing midweek games at the moment in the in the Champions League. How was he ever going to be able to put anything in place? And even when he did at the start. And he put Sterling as a kind of quasi wing back. Everybody went, "Oh, what's he doing? Sterling's not a wing back." Could he ever have won this? Really? 
Um, the only way he wins it is if the, the board back him. Uh, we talked about it from the very beginning. It's a, If you're going to appoint Graham Potter at a club like Chelsea, it's a long-term appointment. Don't expect results overnight. Don't expect a, a quick fix. Um, so you have to be in it for the long haul. Uh, and I wonder whether Chelsea might look across the capital to, to Arsenal and see the pain that uh, the Gunners had to go through after Mikel Arteta was appointed. Um, things weren't plain sailing at all. Um, but obviously things have begun to click into gear this time around, probably much quicker than anyone ever anticipated. Uh, and there might be a lesson in there for Chelsea that uh, if you are going to stick with it, things may come good uh, at some point. But, you know, if I was Chelsea, I'd, I'd probably write off the top four and just invest in Potter now. You, you've already sort of made the move. You've spent huge amounts of money, not just to bring in these players, but also to bring Potter to the club and his coaching staff. You've done the hard work. So just allow him the opportunity to... Yeah. To, to put his plans in place and put the process in place and try and you know bear fruit in next season. Um, but we know what Chelsea are like as a football club. We know their supporters are already getting very, very frustrated. Losing at home to Southampton is kind of unforgivable, whether you're Graham Potter or, or anyone else, regardless of what situation you're in. But um, as Jake said, some of the performances haven't been that bad. Uh, and I, I sort of look at Dortmund away when they lost in the Champions League. They were Should really have won good. the game. Yeah. Should have won the game. Simple really, really good. And that's just the way things are going right now. And you do wonder whether there's something more um, ingrained in Graham Potter's coaching system to to see teams so consistently create opportunities and chances but fail to take them and end up sort of not getting the just desserts. I know Brighton started to turn a corner at the beginning of the campaign, but they weren't anywhere near as clinical as they have been under Roberto De Zerbi, for example. So, um, yeah, very just a, a bit of a wrinkle there. But I think we're all very much on the Graham Potter fan club but um yeah it, it didn't feel like the right fit and this is a, a really weird and interesting game um i had two sort of leans but not strong enough to make them official selections on it um because like jake i can't seem to get spurs right at all this season their range in performance level and their inconsistency just makes them very difficult to back with any sort of confidence they were exceptional against city a fortnight ago diabolical at milan and leicester back to winning ways against west ham but west ham barely put up a fight but the prices I thought were really interesting because Spurs are around 2.6 and Chelsea around about 2 to 1. So the market is saying Chelsea are actually the strongest suit, regardless of what the league position is saying. Um, and a lot of Jake's explanation will probably give you a reason for Chelsea being slightly shorter than what their league position suggests they should be. But their their numbers are just, whichever way you look at them, the, the raw numbers are not good enough. They've won two games in the last 14 Premier League matches. They've scored twice or more, just once in that 14-game sample. And that was against Bournemouth. Um, that's a run that stretches right back to, I think, mid-October. Uh, they're winless in 10 against top-half teams this season. Uh, they scored three league goals in seven. They failed to score in nine of 14 across all comps. No Premier League team has scored fewer goals than Chelsea since the start of November. So you can understand why the pressure is building on Potter. Uh, they've got a negative expected goals process this season. They're below Spurs in almost all major performance data metrics across the whole season. Um, and the fixture list hasn't been that unkind on them either. So, you know, there's, there's serious work to be done to sort of turn those promising performances into actual positive results. And, and for that reason, I would not want to be on Chelsea at those prices. I think there's enough in the price on Tottenham to get them on side with a plus zero start on the Asian handicap at 1.85. That would have been a lean. Um, they do have the superior firepower. Ben Tancor is a, a massive miss in midfield. But defensively, they're, they're getting back to somewhere close to their best in terms of playing personnel. Uh, and Chelsea, whilst they do have a, a good head-to-head -head record against Spurs, just very difficult to back them with any faith below 2.1, the way below 
two two one. Very difficult to have faith in them um, in the current guys. But yeah, the other selection uh, I had as a lean would have been the same under two and a half goals selection as Jake. Might surprise you actually. This did surprise me. But Chelsea's matches this season in the Premier League uh, are the lowest scoring of all the twenty. Their games wow. are averaging just two goals per game. Uh, Unders has landed in 13 of the last 15 in the Premier League. So um, for all their woes in forward areas, they're actually pretty decent at uh, denying opposition, you know, countless chances themselves. And, and Spurs calendar year matches or, or performances this calendar year don't sort of suggest that they're um, involved in too many high-scoring matches either. I think three of the last four head-to-head have also gone under. Uh, earlier in the campaign, it was 2-2, but uh, it was under Thomas Tuchel. So, yeah, um, I think both wages uh, appeal to me in sort of leans, but uh, Jake seems much stronger on unders, so that looks like the way to go. Thrilling Sunday ahead. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Well, we'll definitely have fun in France because it's Le Classique this weekend. Marseille face a Paris Saint-Germain team that just about snatched a win against Lille last weekend. Needed a last gasp free kick from Lionel Messi as they came back from 3-2 down in that one. Five points between the top two at the moment after the same number of games. Mark, if the hosts win and they beat Paris in the Coupe de France recently, then we've got a title race. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we might have a title race regardless, well, unless PSG win this match. Um, I would be happy to oppose PSG winning this match. I'm quite happy to get Marseille onside as underdogs. Um, great day on Sunday in France, it should be said. It's derby day, basically. Rennes are taking on Nantes, uh, Nice are taking on Monaco, uh, and Marseille-PSG, whilst not a regional derby, derby, as you say, it's Le Classique. It's the biggest match in the French football calendar. Uh, these two teams, as you say, have met each other fairly recently at the Velodrome. In the Coupe de France, Marseille won that match. It was their first home win over PSG since 2011. Uh, deservedly so too, against a pretty much a full-strength PSG side who tend to take the Coupe de France very seriously. Um, they always field a strong uh, 11. It's a competition they want to win. Um, but they are well beaten on the night and has continued their poor form in big matches this season, or the matches that really matter. So on top of that defeat, if you look at their results and record against the uh, the leading teams in Ligue 1, they've played five times. They've won just once, which was actually the reverse 1-0 in Paris. Pretty scratchy performance against Marseille. They lost at Monaco, they lost at Lens, they lost at Rennes, and they were held at home by Monaco. Uh, in Europe, as we know, they were pretty feeble in their defeat to Bayern before Mbappe came on for the last 20 minutes. They were held to draws home and away by Benfica. And uh, even despite getting positive results against Juventus, I don't think they were completely convincing in either of those ties either. So there's a lot for them to to improve upon. Um, I think in the past fortnight, we've had fans demonstrating, ultras making statements and, and sort of their case outside the training ground. We've had speculation increasing surrounding Christophe Galtier's position. Lionel Messi's future still is up in the air. Neymar is now injured. And there just seems to be a general kind of feeling of apathy around the club at the minute, um, wondering which direction to go in, uh, what to do in the future. They've tried so many different coaches, so many different approaches. I actually thought the transfer business that they've done in the last 18 months was a huge step in the right direction, much more sensible much business better. rather than, than the, the superstar signings that they've been known to do. Uh, and if you go back as far as kind of August, September and even early October, things all seem to be tracking in the right direction. Uh, and many people have sort of suggested perhaps it's because the likes of Neymar, Messi, etc. were so hell-bent and focused on the World Cup uh, that they wanted things to be moving swimmingly. But now the World Cup is over. 
there's a bit of lethargy around the club, particularly around the, the key players. And I think that's been seen in their performances, as we saw last week against Lille. Very fortunate, just a bit of magic, basically, getting them out of a, a big hole there. Uh, whereas Marseille are, are performing, wonder, performing wonderfully well, much better than I anticipated. Uh, Eagle Tudor has done a, a tremendous job. Go back to August and there was demonstrations from Marseille ultras outside the yeah. training ground about his appointment. Yeah. He got um, booed in his first game before he yeah, even taken yeah. charge. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Football fans are amazing, aren't they? Um, but, you know, fast forward now to this calendar year. They, Marseille won nine from 11 across all competitions. Uh, I think they've got the tools to be very competitive, make this a, a really edgy contest. So you can back them 1.8 with a quarter goal start, but I think a wiser selection, um, a more pragmatic selection at the same price, actually, would be to back Marseille double chance and under four and a half goals at 1.8. Um, it's a load of correct scores on your team. Uh, you get uh, paid out if Marseille avoid defeat and there's fewer than five goals. Uh, I think this could be quite an edgy competitive contest. I certainly wouldn't be fancying PSG the way they're performing at the minute. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, all the major European leagues previewed on our website, betting.betfair.com, including uh, Liga. James Easton does a very good column on that. Lots of other excellent shows in our podcast network, including Cheltenham Only Better, as we look ahead to the Cheltenham Festival. From Jake, from Mark, and from me, it's goodbye for now.